Joshua chapter 24. I want to dig into the Word tonight, and I believe the Lord would speak to us distinctly and clearly if we would allow Him to. And we may look at some familiar Scripture, and maybe some that isn't so familiar. Uh, it's just the way He started talking to me. Joshua chapter 24. For sake of time, we're not going to read the first 13 verses, but I'm going to give you context. As you've heard me say many times, context matters. All right? Um, context matters. The first 13 verses of Joshua chapter 24, Joshua, at the very beginning of the chapter, he gets together all the tribes and all the leaders of the tribes and pulls them together. He calls for all the elders and their heads and their judges and their officers and brings them all together. I, as I was reading this on uh, Tuesday or Wednesday morning, I was remembering the teaching by Bishop on Sunday about heads of household and sort of thought, that's what Joshua was doing. He was getting together all these leaders of families and tribes and elders. So he, And he brought them together and he was reminding them of some things. If you read the first 13 verses, he was declaring to them, you know, it was the Lord that brought you out of Egypt when you were in bondage. It was the Lord that opened the Red Sea that we sang about tonight that allowed you to pass through. It was the Lord that delivered these different Jericho into your hands. It was the Lord that brought you past the, the he names all the different ites, Girgashites and Hittites and different ites. I, you read them in there, they're in there. And he said, the Lord did all that. And when the prophet Balaam was going to speak against you. It was I who wouldn't allow him to do those words. And so he blessed you. The Lord did all this. And so Joshua was telling all the children of Israel and the leaders of the, the Lord did this. He's reminding them of what the Lord did. You know, sometimes it's good for you and I to stop and remember all that God has done for us. Amen. It's good to pause and reflect and remember. Hear me. You know, we, we have this statement sometimes, forgive and forget. We talk about the past. If I could just forget the past. Look, the adversary tries to remind you of the past so he can condemn you. But the reason God doesn't let you forget the past is so you'll praise Him. So it's just a matter of who you're going to listen to. You can listen to the adversary about the past and be condemned. Or you can listen to the Lord and remember what He's done with your past. And you can praise and worship. That's why there's victory in praise and worship. Just how I feel about my past reveals a couple of things. It reveals whether I've truly released it to God and let Him forgive me and wash me with His blood and whether I've forgiven myself or not. And it reveals whether I'm listening to the accuser of the brethren about my past or whether I'm listening to what God says about it. So we need to reflect on what God has done. Back to Joshua 24. Amen? And so Joshua has laid that out, reminded them in short order of all that God has done for them. You know, sometimes I... I we're just sort of stuck here for a minute. Sometimes I like to just walk through all the stuff God's done for me. And every once in a while when I'm doing that, and I, I'm, I like telling Him, thank you, thank you, thank you. Sometimes when I'm doing that, I'm like, man, I've been saying thank you a long time. I wonder if I'm sort of... And I'm like, no, I'm going to... I'm going to keep thanking Him. We used to sing a song when I was younger to take me a million years to thank the Lord. And so He was reminding them of all that God had done for them and brought them through. 
His provision, His supply, His care, His deliverance, all that He'd done. He wasn't telling them their lives were perfect and they had no problems, no pain, no pressure. Everything was hunky-dory and you now live in paradise. He wasn't telling them that. He was just reminding them, everything you came through, God did it. God was there. You were in bondage in Egypt. He didn't let you die there. He brought you out. You faced a Red Sea that you couldn't get past. He parted it and led you through. The enemy kept pursuing you. He destroyed them in the Red Sea. He kept showing, God did this, God did this, God did this, God did this. Got that? That's context. Might have been faster to read the verses. Verse 14, so after he said all that, he says this. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Everybody say, fear the Lord. That's number one. Fear the Lord. Hold Him in awe and reverence and respect. Know what He's done in your life and hold Him in high regard. Fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth. Watch. And... Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. I want you to notice some things he says there. Fear the Lord. Serve Him in sincerity and truth. Put away apparently the gods that the fa- their forefathers had served. Notice, before the flood. You remember the flood destroyed them all? But somehow they picked back up those gods. What gods did they pick up? Gods of this world. Serving self. Watch. So put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. Places I've brought you out of. Don't make the same mistakes. Put them away. Put them away. Put them away. Somebody needs to hear that. Put away the other gods. Alright. And serve ye the Lord. Then he says this, verse 15. And if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord. Now remember, he's telling them this after reminding them of everything God has done for them. Everything he's brought them through. Everything he's kept them from. The fact that they're still alive. If it seem evil to you, serve the Lord. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, he reminds them again, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He speaks to them of putting away gods. And he gives them three different references of gods. Gods that their fathers served before the flood and destruction came. Gods in Egypt where they were before he delivered them by the Passover blood and brought them out. And then in verse 15, he warns them against serving gods of the present. 
the Amorites in whose land you dwell. There is always going to be the temptation to yield to the gods that came generations before you. Because it's spiritual. There will always be the temptation to yield to the things you serve before God delivered you from the bondage of sin by washing you in His blood and bringing you out of sin. Egypt. And even once He's brought you out, filled you with His Spirit, there will be the temptation to serve the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. So what do you do? You put them away. You don't put them away in a closet where you can get to them later. You don't put them away off the home screen of your phone, but back there where you can search them and pull that app back up if you need to. You put them away from you, never to be picked up again. You put them away. This is important in serving God. But I want you to notice, I know you know this passage of Scripture, but now that you have context. Joshua makes this statement. Choose you this day. He didn't say choose for tomorrow. Choose for next week. Choose for next year. Choose for the rest of your life. Choose this day. You know, can I give you a, it's not a secret, I don't get, but can I give you a key element to serving God, living for God, and walking with God for all of your life? Choose you this day. Today, when you get up in the morning, when you wake up, when you take your first breath in a conscious state, find a place with God and say, as for me and my house today, I'm choosing today. You know why some people just can't make it? Because we don't choose today. There is power in choosing this day. I feel the Spirit of the Lord trying to, you know what? Problems are still going to be there. Life is still going to throw you curveball. The adversary is going to try to come against you. That's going to happen someday. But you know what you got to do? Sometimes you just got to go, listen, I've put my feet down. I've made a firm stance. I'm choosing today to serve God. When I got up this morning, 52 years old almost, I still had to determine today, this day, I will serve the Lord. I'm not going to serve the ones my forefathers served. I'm not going to serve who I served before He delivered me. I'm not going to serve the gods of this world. Today, whatever day it is, July the 7th, 2022, today I will serve the Lord. You and I have to choose. Every Day is a choice. But I'm not just choosing with no evidence of how wonderful it is to serve Him. Anybody want to reflect on when you were serving the gods of Egypt? Brother Martin, you're interested in trading serving Him for the gods you used to serve? Brother Lewis, you're interested in trading, serving Him for the gods you used to serve. See, that's what Joshua was telling them. Let me remind you of where you were. Let me remind you of what He brought you through. 
And then I'm going to ask you, choose. 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 I once was lost, but now I'm. I once was blind, but now I see. I walked in darkness, but He brought me into His marvelous light. He has delivered me from the bondage of darkness and conveyed me into the kingdom of His Son. Choose today. And then Joshua said, just in case you're not sure, as for me and my house, We will. He did not say, we're going to try. We're going to give it our best effort and see what happens. We're going to make our best attempt. See? I want to make sure before something comes out of my mouth, I don't say something I shouldn't say. You know what that is? That's stinking thinking. You ever heard of stinking thinking? Yeah, that's stinking thinking. I'm going to try. Now, sometimes you got to say, I will. Now, you're not, you and I aren't doing this in our own effort and ability, we're not doing this in human willpower. I will because I've got evidence. I've got some. Life experience behind me. That even if in serving I falter, He's faithful. Even if serving I miss the mark, I'm going to get back up again. And I'm going to serve because He's faithful. It doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect every day. But I'm going to choose this day to serve the Lord. And Joshua declared, there's some people in my house I'm making choices for. There's all this talk in our world about freedom of choice. My kids, as long as they lived in my house, did not have freedom of choice. Now, I'm not saying they got to choose something. You understand what I mean? You're like, whoa. Be careful with that statement. There were certain things. Let me say it that way. There were certain things they did not have freedom of choice. Dad made the choices. I didn't care if they liked them. That was not my concern. I didn't care if they loved me. Or were mad at me. Or rejected me. Or were angry at me. Or thought I was wrong. I didn't care. Did it hurt me if, that, if they felt that way? Of course. Did I weep and cry and pray over some, that sometimes? Of course. But I didn't care. I was choosing for them. I was choosing for me and my house. Until my God became their God. And when they chose Him. I didn't have to choose for them any longer. They chose. But I'll tell you. Your house will choose what you choose. They'll choose what you choose. 
So Joshua said, for me and my I'm trying to move. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now we're going to read fast for sake of time. Watch, because now this dialogue starts taking place between Joshua and these people that he's gathered together. You've got all this context, but watch this dialogue. And the people answered. This is good. They answered and they said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. I want you to pause right there just a second and recognize what they just declared. If we serve other gods, we are admitting that we are forsaking God. God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Choose this day. Verse 17. And then they begin to remind. This is good. They were listening. They, and they were in, they, their heart began. For the Lord our God, He it is that brought us out of our father and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, did those great signs in our sight. He preserved us in all the way wherein we went. God has preserved every one of us in this room tonight. He's preserved us in all. Don't you know that if the adversary could have killed you, you'd already be dead? God has preserved us. That's what they're saying. God has preserved us in all the way. And they weren't saying all the way they went was the right way. They were just acknowledging in all the way they went, God preserved them. And among all the people through whom we passed, and the Lord drove out from before us all the people, the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore will we also serve the Lord, for He is our God. Joshua liked that. Joshua responded, verse 19, he said to the people, you can't serve the Lord. What? I bet he had their attention, didn't he? He said, you can't serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. See what he's doing. He's reminding them of the nature and the character of God. That God wants all of you. God wants all of you. He's not wanting to share you with other gods. He's wanting all of you. For he'll not forgive your transgressions and your sins. Now, let's keep reading so we get fullness of context. Verse 20. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he'll turn and do you hurt. And consume you after he's done you good. Verse 21. And the people said to Joshua. No. But we will serve the Lord. Joshua said. You see this conversation going back and forth. And Joshua said to the people. You are witnesses against yourselves. That you have chosen you. The Lord. To serve him. And they said. We are witnesses. Now notice verse 23. Now therefore. Put away said he, the strange gods which are among you. Now they were still, he still, they still had to walk away from that conversation and do some things. Put away, that's the third time we've seen those words, said he, the strange God which are among you. And here he adds something he hasn't spoken before. Incline your heart. Because there's the challenge. You can do all these things. You can put away those gods. But if you don't incline your heart, in time you'll go back and find them again. It's a hard issue. It's a hard issue. 
Incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. Watch verse 24. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and His voice will we obey. Choose you this day. You know, there's just something to be said for a made-up mind. You ever talk to somebody and you try to change their mind and you felt like you might as well just be talking to a brick wall? No looking at anybody. I'm just saying. Right? And you're like, I am expending all my breath and why? Or you ever talk to somebody and they ask you a question and you're, you know, they want your advice. And then you're giving them advice, but they continue to push back. And you start realizing pretty soon, you know what? I'm done. Because they've already made up their mind. Does that make sense? There's power in a made up mind. You say, and, and here's, well, yeah, but you don't understand. Well, yeah, but you don't know, but you don't see how, but you don't, but you don't, I can't explain it. True. But I made up my mind. I've chosen. I've chosen. I have a made up mind. You all were so kind, gracious and generous and wonderful. A few weeks ago, you kindly recognized, celebrated and honored my wife and I for 30 years of marriage. Can I tell you the number one thing beyond the Lord that has given us 30 plus years of marriage? When I went into it, I had a made up mind. Brother Ego, I told my wife, maybe not exactly in these words, but somewhere along the journey before we walked down the aisle. Well, she walked down the aisle. I just walked out and stood up there and waited. Little did you know when you get married, standing at the altar and waiting is simply a precursor to what your life will be married. It was just, I did, that wasn't a bad thing. It was a wonderful thing to wait. I had to learn that. But watch. We had a conversation before that says, hey, I just want you to know, and I want to make sure we're on the same page here. When we get married, it's forever. Are we in agreement? Yep. Okay, good. Good. We made up our mind. There's power in a made up mind. You know what? I feel like the Holy Ghost is trying to challenge in our spirit. I, look, I, I know you're going through stuff someday. I know you face battles. I'm not dismissing that. You understand. We've sat together. We've prayed together at times. We've talked together. We've counseled through things. And we'll do that more. We'll, but sometimes the answer is you just got to put your foot down. Stand firm and say, I made up my mind. I'm going to live for God. I made up my mind. I'm going to serve the Lord. I made up my mind. This is the only way I'm going to live. I'm determined for my life. I don't want to go another way. I'm determined for my home. We're not going to live another way. I'm determined for myself. This is how I want to live. Choose you this day. Sometimes you got to do that every day, every day, every day. Sometimes you got to do that 20 times a day, 30 times a day, 40 times a day. But there's a determination and a setting of my foot and a standing firm that says, I've made up my mind. Choose. Incline your heart, Joshua said. In your marriage, this is a little side note, but it fits. 
in your marriage. You're going to face trouble sometime. Just determine. We're going to work through this. I'm determined. I love that woman. She loves me. We're going to work through this. I'm determined. You're going to face some things. You've got to have a made up mind. 1 Kings chapter 18. Verse 21. The prophet Elijah. As the prophets of Baal and many others. The children of Israel gathered on the top of Mount Carmel. Because it hasn't rained for three and a half years. They're arguing about who God is. Elijah's had enough. He's there under the instruction of the Lord. And he asked the people of God a question. And Elijah came to all the people and he said, How long halt ye between two opinions? How long halt ye? How long are you going to be stuck? Halt, come to a standstill. How long are you going to stand between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. I hear the Lord declaring that to some today. If the Lord is God, if you believe the Lord is God, follow Him. Follow Him. I understand. I've lived long enough to understand. That's not always easy. But it starts with acknowledging the Lord is God, Sister Julie. The Lord is God. Therefore, because I know He's God, I'm going to follow Him. He didn't say the road would always be easy, Sister Priscilla. But the end's worth it. The end's worth it. It's like saying, you know what? I'd love to take a trip to Seattle. If it wasn't for having to climb that mountain pass to get over there. Well, sometimes you may not enjoy the journey. But you better know what your destination is. The journey. You endure journeys because of the destination. Now, there are parts of the journey that are wonderful and beautiful, and there are parts of the journey that are difficult and hard and painful. But you make the journey because of the destination. If the Lord's God, follow Him. If Baal's God, if the God of this world is truly the one living God, He's not. You know, it was right after this that the prophets of Baal prayed all day and never got fire to fall. And then Elijah prayed a 60-something word prayer and the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed an altar and the sacrifices and the water and licked up everything around it. But I want you to notice something in this verse. How long are you going to be stuck between two opinions? Can I say it this way? 
How long are you going to stand there without choosing? Choose. That was really the issue. And he declares this. But I want you to notice this. And the people answered him not a word. Now we read in Joshua 24, they dialogued with Joshua. They've gotten so far at this point that they're not even willing to commit themselves just yet. This we see here, a process and a decline of failing to make a choice and take a stand. And the progression some things just start with taking a stand and making up your mind. Choosing again today. You wish you had a prayer life? You wish you had a life of prayer? I'll tell you how it starts. You choose, I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to pray. And you do it. And then tomorrow, you choose. And get up in the morning and I'm going to pray. And you do it. And then Saturday you choose. I'm going to get up in the morning. Choose this day. Day by day. Day by day. Day by day. Day by day. Making choices. Where the grace of God enables you and I. Again, we're not doing this in our own human ability and willpower. It's just saying, you know, I know I'm going to have to press through some stuff. But I'm choosing in Jesus' name. Choose. We find an interesting thing in Joel chapter 3 and verse 14. Joel 3 and 14. He's prophesying about the end of time. He calls it the day of the Lord. And he says there are multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Masses, masses. That's what I hear when I hear that word multitude. Masses of people, masses of people. Where are they? They haven't chosen here. They haven't chosen there. They're right in between. They're in the valley of decision. Hear me. Hear the word of the Lord. No decision is a decision. You ever been riding in the car right after church? I've watched it in here after church. Let's go eat. Where do you want to go eat? That's the dreaded question after church on Sunday. I don't care. You choose. No, no, really. I don't. You know, just what do you think? What sounds good? And then you spend 30 minutes talking about where are we going to go eat. It's funny. If, if we end up in that conversation with my kids, my kids will usually say, not here. Right? They know where they don't want to go. Right? Not here. And why do they know where they Because they know where we go often. And you know why we go there often? Well, I like it. Number one. But because you know what? I don't want to spend 20 minutes talking about it and trying to make a choice. I just want to make a decision. 
Now, there's a far greater decision than where you're going to eat after church on a Sunday. There are masses, multitudes of people. The prophet Joel, when he saw and spoke and declared the word of the Lord regarding the end of time, the day of the Lord, the return of the Lord, he said he saw multitudes. Multitudes. And when you see a word like that repeated, it's to strengthen it. It becomes exponential. Multitudes, multitudes are in the valley of decision. A place where they're not choosing. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. We have to choose. We have to choose. It doesn't mean every problem will fade away. It doesn't mean everything will just get perfect. It doesn't mean God then swoops in and fix. You understand, He didn't just pick up the children of Israel when He brought them out of Egypt and say, boom, you're in the promised land. Aren't you glad you didn't have to walk through the wilderness and deal with serpents and Red Sea and the fear of an army chasing you and you didn't have to deal with these other heathen nations trying to destroy you. You didn't have to fight any battles. You just boom. No, he didn't do that. That's why he reminded them all that you had to fight some battles along the way. But I was with you. I didn't leave you there. I brought you through the battle. I covered you. I gave you victory. It's the Lord that teaches our hands to war, the scripture says. I came beside you, fought for you. If we hold our peace, the Lord will fight our battles for us. But we choose, we choose, we choose. We choose. Again, today we choose. I wish that we'd just get a dogged determination that would get in our spirit by the work of the Word of God. This is, I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. I'm not turning back. I don't have any other option. I don't want another option. I want to live for God. I want my life to be given to His purpose and His kingdom. What would God do with people that say, I've got my foot on the rock and my mind's made up? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Matthew chapter 7. I hurry. Matthew 7 verse 13. Familiar scripture to us. Sort of fits with that conversation about the destination. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Jesus Christ is speaking. He makes this statement. He says, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Enter at the straight gate. Choose. Enter at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way. That leads to destruction. And many choose to go in there. That word broad there is interesting. It speaks of little or no resistance. I just want to go the way that's easy. No pressure. But what's interesting is where it says... 
Broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. That word leadeth there in verse 13 literally means to lead away, especially of those who are led off to trial, to prison, to punishment, or being led to death. Choose. That's what the Lord is saying. That's what He was declaring. Choose. Choose the way. You're going to choose the broad way. Easier for my flesh. Little resistance to my will. Little resistance to my wants and desires and what I, what pleases me. Broad is the way. But it's leading somewhere. It's leading somewhere. But notice verse 15. Or 14. But it, or 13, go back to 13 so I don't lose track. He said there's many that go in thereat. And then notice there's a colon there. Verse 14, then he says, because this is why many go in at the Broadway. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads to life. Remember, it's the destination. I like the Broadway. It's easy. Yeah, but you're not paying attention to the destination. Straight is the gate. Narrow is the way. But look where it leads. Life. 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 And few there be that find it. You know what's interesting about that word narrow? Narrow is the way. That word narrow means... It's only, it's only translated narrow one time in Scripture. All the other times, it's translated four times, it's translated trouble. Three times, it's translated affliction. One time, it's translated suffer tribulation. What? Nobody told me that. Straight and narrow. There will be trouble. There will be persecution. Jesus said all men would persecute us for his name's sake. There will be tests. There will be trials. You know why? You ever seen those little holes? I'm almost done. You ever seen those a little bitty hole and go, how in the world did that mouse get in my house through that hole? Anybody know what I'm talking about? My mom called me the other day. Joe! Mom, what in the world's going on? I've got bats! I'm like, you've got what, Mom? Bats! Like the kind that fly around, Mom? Yeah, I got bats! Mom, are you okay? Well, no, they're in the walls! Mom, are you sure? Yeah, yeah. She probably wasn't quite that hysterical, but she let me know. She'd go to bed at night and she'd hear something in the walls. She's like, I couldn't sleep. They'd wake me up. She wasn't scared. She just knew something was in there. Make all that noise. And so she thought it was mice. They said, oh, no, this exterminator out, put some stuff, said, oh, it's mice. They'll eat it and they'll run away. They'll be gone and it'll be over. Well, it didn't stop it. It got worse. She's like, no, there's something in there. I hear it swishing around. They finally came. They looked. Sure enough, she had bats. So they got to figure out how to get the bats out of our wall. So I have fun with her now. I said, Mom, you're going batty. I told you. So.
they found this little bitty crack above the door of her house outside. And these bats were all squeezing through that tiny, small space. What am I telling you? I'm telling you when you choose a straight and narrow way, there's some pressure that comes along the journey. And to go the straight and narrow way, you know what? Here's the problem. We got stuff. And we like our stuff. And we want to take our stuff where God's saying, you can't take your stuff and go where I'm leading you. I want you to lay aside every weight and sin. Not just sin, weight that so easily besets you. And here's the problem. I'm trying to pass through the straight and narrow. But my stuff. And the Lord's saying, I hear Joshua, put away the other gods. You've got to let go of some stuff. And whatever your stuff is, that's between you and the Lord and His Word. But the straight and narrow is designed by God to strip us of stuff. Hear me. The straight and narrow is designed by God to strip us from stuff because He loves us and He's got a destination for us. Would you stand with me tonight? James declared in James 1 and 8, he said, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Someone please hear. you got to just make up your mind. Today. And then tomorrow morning when you get up, you make it up again. And you know what? Some days that sounds like I'm living for God. I belong to God. And He has me in His hands. Sometimes that's what it sounds like, Brother Zario. You gotta just declare it. I'm choosing today. I'm choosing today. I'm choosing today. Don't stay in a valley of decision. Choose. Because when I don't choose and make up my mind, it begins to filter into every other part of my life. Unstable in all ways. Choose. Romans chapter 8. Let me finish with this verse. Verse 35. The Apostle Paul was writing. He was facing some stuff. He'd been through some stuff. Wouldn't you agree? But he asked this question of Rome, of the saints at Rome. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine 
or nakedness or peril or so. Hold on a minute. Are we going to have to deal with that stuff if he loves us? Apparently. Apparently. Otherwise, he wouldn't have put it in there. Straight and narrow. But I got my eye on the destination, but one. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the writer of Hebrews said. Now what? Who shall separate? Notice he didn't say what. It's often quoted that way. He did not say what. He said who. If we're separated from the love of God, it's not a what, it's a who. That who may be you. I'm not trying to rhyme here. That who may be you. That who may be someone you need to let go of and release them into the hands of the Lord. That who may be a relationship you need to cut off. That who may be a spiritual adversary that keeps trying to come. But who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall all of these things... Now watch verse 36. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. This does not sound like the love of God, but Paul is painting a picture here. We are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Verse 37. Nay, in all of these things, persecution, peril, sword, trouble, in all of these things, watch, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. He'll bring us through. I may face peril. I may face sword. I may have distresses. I'm more than a conqueror, not by my own ability, but through him that loved us. Watch verse 38. Those four words right there. For I am persuaded. You know what I hear Paul saying? I made up my mind. I am determined. I made a choice. Neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Keep going, right? Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I have some declarations tonight. As for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. And I am persuaded that nothing shall separate me from the love of God. Nothing shall separate me. When I was a kid, there was a man, a pastor by the name of Brother Daryl Carnley, or that was, that's his son. Brother Carnley, I don't, I don't remember his first name, but he pastored in Seward, Alaska. He would come to Anchorage sometime and preach, or we would go in Seward and stay in his home. He would always sing a song. I, I wanted to sing it, but I punished you guys a lot singing a week or two ago, so I'm not going to do that again. But I, can, I, can I just read the lyrics to you? It's a, uh, it's a southern gospel song, so it's probably best that... Uh, that um, 
I warn you that in case you try to go look and listen. Okay, because I know that may not be the genre for some of you. Um, but the the song stayed in my heart. Um, I remember him, and he sang it with such conviction. And he was an elder gentleman when I was a kid. He didn't have this beautiful voice. It was, man, when he sang it was conviction. And I thought, I want to believe that. And the song is, I've got my foot on the rock. And here's, here's, the, here's the song. I started out to win this race, to serve the Lord and to look upon His face. Destination. The way's been long and the way's been rough, but there's one thing for sure. I've got my mind made up. I've got my foot on the rock and my mind's made up. Though I walk through a lowly valley, though I drink from a bitter cup, when the devil comes knocking, showing me an easy way, I stand right square on my feet. I throw my head in the air. I look him straight in the eye. I say my foot's on the rock. And my mind's made up. I remember Brother Carnley singing that song, and he would do every bit of it. But he'd say, he'd say, I st- he'd stomp. I stand right square on my feet. I throw my head in the air. I look him straight. I mean, he had conviction. And as a child, I thought he believes what he's saying. His mind's made up. Choose. Will there be battles in your mind? Yes. Make it up. I'm choosing. I'm choosing. Would you talk to the Lord right now?